Hi, welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. Our topic today is club root, and we have a farmer who will share his experiences. And we have our very own Canola Council club root specialist who will talk about good practical management tips. With me are John Gilly, I'm a farmer from Westlock, Alberta. I'm Dan Orchard with the Canola Council of Canada, uh, North Central Alberta region. John, Dan, and I took a moment during Farm Tech at Edmonton the end of January to talk club root. We found a, an almost quiet room. To lead off, we actually chatted a bit about John's presentation at CropSphere earlier in January in Saskatoon. Um, well, kind of had a two-part version to it. One, uh, talking about the social stigmas of club root, and then secondly, talking about what we did on our farm to um, mitigate the situation and, and manage the club root that we have on our farm. And do you feel like there is social stigma, even though there's so many people with club root in your area? Yeah, definitely. Uh, nobody wants to talk about it. It's uh, a lot like mental health. That uh, Everybody's afraid that their neighbours are going to find out that their land's going to go down, what the county might say. Uh, nobody wants to talk about it. It uh, really holds back on the education of what you can do to manage club root. Uh, since you don't feel free to talk to other neighbours and to agronomists. Let's talk about the severity of club root on your farm then. How, how bad is it? Well, there's definitely patches. Um, no yield loss that I've noticed, um, but it's definitely out there and it's definitely a concern. We're going to get into some of the remediation techniques now with Dan. Rotation's a, an obvious big one. Rotation obviously is a big part of it. Um, as John knows, he had to look at alternate crops too to make sure he extended his rotation. It's a lot easier said than done sometimes in regions, so we have to understand that uh, a, a farmer that's never grown a crop before, like say peas or, or any crop, it's it's a learning experience to get into it. You You can't just say I'm going to switch my crop rotation and grow all these new crops you know so it's a slow progression for guys like John to, to get into a three or a four-year rotation but certainly that it, it's valuable and to reduce the spore loads and keep them at controllable levels I think rotation is definitely going to be an integral part of that. And the other part about rotation is too that it's very quick and easy to shorten your rotation but to lengthen it it takes a little bit of planning it takes you a couple of years to get it done in order to balance the crops that are, you have on your farm. What, what's your rotation now? Uh, rotation now is uh, canola, uh, wheat, and malt barley. Um, yeah, profitability, I guess you have to look at it in the full cycle, look at it over your cycle, your rotation. You can't look at it necessarily year to year. From there, we got into a conversation about club root resistant canola and who should be growing it. I think if there was enough seed to go around the prairies, then the prairies could ultimately all be seeding, you know, clubber resistant, but that's not the case. Um, just speaking to folks here at FarmTech, there's, it, it's surprising to hear uh, how many counties are not using resistant varieties completely, even though they've already found, you know, numerous club root fields in their county. Um, I, uh, I, I asked the reason why you wouldn't be doing it, and it's hard to get a consistent answer. You know, some of them feel that there's a yield drag. Uh, some of them don't have been told not to use it until they get club root, you know, things like that. So um, I think all of that aside, 
growers have to understand that the risk of, of growing a susceptible variety one time too many is, is huge risk. And the number of spores that can develop from one susceptible crop can make it uncontrollable for the future of your farm. So that's why we, we try to get the message out that deploy a resistant variety before you get to that stage where, where management is going to be an issue. Do you grow clever resistant varieties? Absolutely. I think it's a complete no-brainer. Uh, I'm not sure why anybody wouldn't. Um, I, in my presentation, I mentioned, would anybody grow a non-black leg resistant variety? Obviously, no. Why, why would you? Um, we've shown through plots on our farm that uh, there's very little, if any, yield drag, and the cost of the seed is minimal to none. Again, it's, it's a no-brainer. Dan, let's talk about the spore load. You mentioned that a couple of times now. So that, you know, per gram of soil, you know, 100,000 must be pretty common in central Alberta. A million's getting up there and, and even higher than that in some fields. So what, you know, when, when you're managing for a, a, for a spore load, is there a target that someone should keep in mind? I, I mean, there's some numbers that float around in Alberta and uh, typically, that number seems to be around 80,000 to 100,000 spores per gram of soil before you consistently see uh, problems in the field. But um, other people around the world don't necessarily agree with that number and, and think that that, that num- we, we've picked a number that's too high, that certainly there can be complications with significantly lower. And technically, it only takes one spore to infect the plant. It's just the the odds of a root exploring enough soil to find one spore is pretty much zero. So I think it's almost, um, it's something that science probably never be able to prove exactly how many spores per gram of soil you need because conditions dictate probably as much or more than spore load dictates uh, how bad the year is going to be. So if it's a really warm, wet spring, you would need far less spores per gram of soil to cause a big problem than you would uh, on years that are cool and dry. So if you're talking about spore loads before you start to see major symptoms, is the soil test effective? I think the soil test is only as effective as the person taking the sample. So as long as they are confident that they're, you know, hitting the right spots, it's so variable. Um, we have a lot of fields in, in central Alberta that would be in, in the tens to hundreds of millions of spores per gram of soil. So I don't know the purpose of testing that. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to track it moving uh, by 10,000 spores or even 100,000. But over time, you would, you would track that depletion. And, and I think it would be safe to say that when it's non-detectable or it's below, you know, 10,000 or 30,000 spores per gram, that that would be considered very low risk for, for coming back in with a, a crop, although it would still need to be a resistant, a resistant variety. We shifted gears here to talk about weeds that are also hosts for club root. And they are wild mustard, stinkweed, which is also called pennycress or French weed, depending on where you're from, flixweed, also called tansy mustard, and shepherd's purse. Of course, the other is volunteer canola. If you've got, you know, one volunteer canola per square meter, like it, like seem like kind of a small amount, even right. like one per ten square meters mm-hmm. or something, is that a, even then if it's let go, is it enough to 
Uh, you know, basically negate any sort of uh, rotational benefit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the amount of resting sports produced by one gull, um, I mean, it varies by the size of the gull and everything, but certainly um, one plant that releases all these spores into the soil could cause a huge patch the following year. So it's it's it, you have to be pretty diligent to to control your weeds and volunteers to be confident enough to say that you're not adding to the spore load. In order to decrease that spore load, it's it's pretty vigilant uh, weed control and volunteer control needs to be done. John, do you feel, from a farmer's perspective, do you feel like the, the you know, what these weeds could potentially do or what volunteer canola could potentially do to totally mess up your rotation when it comes to club root management? Do you think that's fully appreciated? Well, probably not fully appreciated. I know it's something you really have to step up uh, pre-seed burn is crucial I think that's definitely a part of the management plan is to step up your control on that and keep an eye on it keep scouting all right let's move on to moving soil when soil particles blow around in the wind you know that the club root spores which are much smaller even than that will be blowing around too and and there's lots of other ways to to slow down the the movement of of soil but what in your mind Dan what's the what are the key things to keep in mind to to stop the soil well, reducing tillage obviously keeps this blowing um, problem, you know, reduces that for sure. But machinery that's leaving a contaminated field that, that isn't free of, of big clods of dirt, I, that's undoubtedly the biggest uh, transmission method that's going on right now and still continues to happen. And, and I guess for me, the kind of the frightening part about that is it doesn't seem as though people are rectifying this situation and and going any further with cleaning and sanitation it's it's a incredibly important message but it's one that seems to be difficult for the industry to particularly the farmers that have a lot of acres to seed and 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 behind a little bit in the spring or whatever it it really doesn't seem as though they're willing to take the time to do that even though they are aware of the risks it's it's just uh it's not something that's practiced as often as it should be John, what do you do to slow the movement of soil? Well, the old message of, of you know, full steam washing, sanitizing, I think that's the perfect scenario, but it's just not feasible on the farm. Uh, when you're in the midst of seeding or, far, or combining or spraying or what have you, you've got a lot of acres to get to do in a day, and spending a couple hours between fields just isn't practical. Um, it's certainly probably the best way, but it's just not practical, so... What we typically do is, uh, or what we always do, is uh, stop after doing a, a one field and pull over near the approach or somewhere where there's a grassed area, knock off the bulk of it. Um, in 10 or 15 minutes, amazing how much uh, soil you can knock off and, uh, you know, reduce reduce your exposure to dragging it around. Well, we know that the field entrances are where, in most cases... It, it moves and that's because that's where you find it most of the time right but you have this idea of having a separate exit so what why well because the current exit is the entrance as well they're used you know for both purposes um and and often compaction um the crop doesn't really grow that well there anyway so there's not a lot of crop there to suck up the moisture and dry it out like it, like it should be so we're often tracking this mud and this dirt and this um, contaminated soil from the entrance as we're leaving 
um, to, and taking it to another field. So if there was an exit on the far end of the field from where you come into the field, uh, technically the club route would have to spread all the way across your field to the other end before the, before you're going to be hauling it out with you. So if the last spot you leave in your field is likely the cleanest spot, I think that this would also slow the spread down quite significantly. Um, definitely growers talk about their entrances aren't really productive anyway um, and, the, and these kind of things. So grassing those entrances, um, if you're going to not build a new exit, would be a really good plan because you have a place to clean off. It's not going to be muddy if it's in a perennial grass of some sort and, and uh, just should technically reduce the movement of soil by, by quite a bit. John, have you ever thought of or have you tried this separate exit concept? Uh, most of our fields, we've got a couple approaches. It, has, it isn't something that we've actually done. I've, I've given it a lot of thought and there's a lot of, it sounds simple, but it's a little more complicated because, so you've got two approaches, which is the entrance and which is the exit. Maybe you need to put signs up, I don't know. Plus, you know, wet years if you're hauling grain while well, you're headed to the closest access. And if you've got mud on the tires of the truck, you're dragging club root around. So it's it's certainly a great idea. It's it's tough to put into put a plan into place for that. And I'm still trying to get that through my head on on how we can improve on that. All right, let's talk about the patches. Um, grassing in areas that are you know have club root. Um, I guess that's one idea, Dan. Are there others that that we we maybe we think might work or do we know will work do, do we do, do we know anything for sure yet with regard to that i wouldn't say absolutely for sure we know i guess we do know one thing that if you don't grow canola there um, or don't have any host weeds there that the spore load will decline over time and eventually should should be gone or low enough to manage at least so but other other soil amendments have come kind of come across the table now and again and resurfacing again now is the liming idea so bringing that ph up above seven kind of the seven two or three range really seems to have quite an impact um, on controlling club root and combine that with with putting in a grass crop um, it seems like these grass uh, or these perennial crops will trigger the spores out of dormancy and even further reduce that spore load much quicker than having nothing there at all um, so I think a combination of that, there's solarization has been looked at along with fumigation. Uh, some of these are really, really promising. Again, just like John mentioned, some things sound a lot easier to do than they, than, than they are to do. So the practicality um, maybe, maybe should be left up to the farmers rather than the researchers. They're, I mean, the researchers are fantastic at doing what they're doing, but farmers are the ones that learn how to how to take uh, something and make it work on their farm, whether it be equipment or timing or whatever they need to do to make it work. Uh, the farmers seem to, to be able to do that. So they'll invent something if, or build something or whatever they need to do. I think they're just waiting to hear what, what is the best thing to do. So if, if uh, the research kind of catches up here in the next year or two, Hopefully, we'll have some really, really good options for this patch management, and and this will come into uh, play for sure with these new pathotypes that are showing up in patches. Because often it's a, a very small patch, less than an acre, 
and I think it's reasonable to ask of, ask the farmers to treat these these patches separately uh, to slow the spread. If we if we don't, I'm I'm fairly certain that the new strains will move around just as freely as as the original strain did, and that and that could be a lot of trouble. So we we need to try something. I think the farmers are in the heavily infested regions are ready to try something else because they they understand now genetics uh, is not the answer and um, rotating out of canola for five years certainly doesn't seem like a realistic uh, solution to me either so so we've got to find a happy ground uh, where you can grow canola enough to, to stay profitable and and control the disease and keep it from spreading now fumigation time so you know you, you apply a uh, fumigant but what's solarization so solarization would be just the act of tarping um, without any fumigants or anything underneath so there's some kind of recent preliminary work showed that uh, three weeks uh, underneath a heavy plastic tarp where the sun can literally cook that soil up to like 35 degrees celsius for a couple of weeks and the spores basically become not viable anymore it's the too harsh of an environment for the spores so they kind of fade away and that that's really kind of exciting news because maybe maybe this uh, solarization of entrances could be a little more realistic than grassing in I'm not sure how that would work but certainly it, it looks like that could be a viable option um, once we learn a bit more about it John anything you're going to try differently in 2018 well, I've done some uh, quantitative PCR soil tests to try and identify spore load levels. Um, started that process this fall. Um, kind of a work in progress, hoping to maybe do that annually. Um, that's probably the, the newest thing that we've got on the go. Um, these patches, one, one real problem with these patches is trying to identify where they are. I mean, the easy way to see is with dead plants, but by then it's getting to be too late so identifying where they are is is not an easy thing either so how you address those patches or identify them so that you can address them is another issue you're up against Dan any last thoughts yeah that's a good point by John like uh, canola is like the best indicator crop of whether or not you have club root but just the susceptible varieties are and they're too risky to grow uh to let them tip you off whether or not you have club root. So I think it's probably not a bad approach to just assume that you either have it or will have club root eventually and, and to start managing that way as though you do. There's certainly very successful growers, well, John's an example, um, that have extended their rotation and started to really focus their efforts on managing club root, and, and they are. It's... I don't, I don't feel as though Clubroot's managing John's farm. I feel John's managing Clubroot on his farm. Uh, and and if, you're, if you're not going to adhere to these management practices that, that are good, uh, it will definitely manage your farm for you. So, so we can't let it get to that state. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, John. That was Dan Orchard, Canola Council of Canada Agronomy Specialist for Central Alberta and John Gilley, who's a farmer from Westlock, Alberta, and also a director with Alberta Canola Producers Commission. For lots more on Clubroot, please go to clubroot.ca. You can also get lots on Clubroot and, and all kinds of other canola agronomy through Canola Watch at canolawatch.org. While there, please sign up to receive our free agronomy email newsletter.
Thanks for listening. I'm Jay Wetter.